Hey, good morning, everybody. It's been a big week since you and I got to talk last time. Welcome to The Driving Show. My name is John Hammer. I'm uh, sitting here in the studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a beautiful Saturday morning here, and uh, I'm coming to coming to you from Race City, USA. That's where I live. I live in Mooresville, North Carolina, uh, and I even pronounce that like a Southerner now, although uh, if you're new to the show, I'm originally from Detroit. Uh, I have been a radio personality and a car guy for as long as I can remember, literally those two parts. Parts of my life have almost been perfectly hand in hand uh, ever since I was just a, a, a teenager. So, you know, being here on the driving show is is just a, it's, a, it's a dream come true to be able to broadcast to you guys and and talk about the things that I'm passionate about. And obviously, if you're listening to the show, you're passionate about cars and motorsports and racing and aftermarket parts and all kinds of stuff. In fact, that's what I did this morning. I've spent my morning drinking a cup of coffee and looking for uh, a, a, an inexpensive way to add an exhaust system to one of my cars. I love that working on a car thing, you know, where you, you just feel closer to the car. I think that's a real important aspect of, of it, whether you're washing your car and detailing it for a, a Cars and Coffee this morning or you're looking for more performance. When you can do the work yourself... You feel that much more connected to your car, and and I people who aren't in our hobby they don't understand what we what we're talking about. You know, they look at us and they go, "You love your car." You know, have you ever had a girl do that? You love your car more than you love me. <laughs> well, let's just say I've got some ex girlfriends that would absolutely fall into that category. All right, today on the show, we're going to dig up a couple aspects of uh, the car guy gearhead lifestyle. We're going to talk uh, racing. We're going to look closer at last weekend's Daytona 500. There are a lot of things that happened within that race that make it really, truly stand out. Uh, we're going to talk about how Denny Hamlin kept his skills up during the off season, and we're going to get your thoughts on NASCAR's new rules regarding repairs. I know that talks a lot about NASCAR, but we got a lot of whole, whole lot of other stuff going on here as well so you definitely don't want to miss it good thing that you've tuned in to the driving show and it's time now for the news The first ever Daytona 500 in the stage racing era is in the books. Congrats to Kurt Busch for leading exactly one lap in the race. <laughs> but it was the one that mattered the most. He takes an exciting victory as others were running out of fuel on the last lap. And whether you think the idea of stages is good or bad, look, it's here to stay, at least for now. Of course, that extra aggression caused plenty of contact on track in all three of NASCAR's top classes with big in the trucks and the Xfinity and the Monster Energy races. Coming up later in the show, we're going to dig more into the good and the bad and the ugly of those new NASCAR rules. Now, Porsche continues to move away from the traditional sports car. They're about to release the new Panamera Sport Turismo. Think of it as a Porsche station wagon with some serious swagger. The big sedan slash estate wagon will be powered by a number of drive lines, including a hybrid that has over 460 horsepower combined between a V6 and the electric motors. Then there's, of course, at the top end, the proper twin turbo V8, which will be available with 550 horsepower and a price tag that's more expensive than my first couple of homes that I owned. Uh, that The turbo version of that will start off at $155,000. The Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo will debut at the Geneva Auto Show. And I don't know, are you into wagons? 
I'm one of those nerds. I like wagons. I really do. Uh, you know, the, the Dodge the Dodge Magnum SRT from years ago. I always thought that was really cool. Um, the, the AMG, the Mercedes AMG, uh, 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 what is it, the 63 wagon. That thing is a monster. I love that thing. Um, yeah, the, the Cadillac. The V series, the CTS V wagon, bring it on! Bring there's a a guy that lives in my neighborhood here who drag races one of those things. He puts drag radials on his Cadillac and he goes to the strip and goes tears it up. It's it's great fun. So good to see more wagons out there. Formula One's preseason testing continues at Barcelona. Valtteri Bottas has been at the top of the speed chart so far, and he's got a lot to live up to. He's the replacement for Nico Rosberg, who made that shocking retirement after winning the championship last fall. Formula One opens their season on the 26th, coming up in Australia. Speaking of winning and quitting, there's a report out this week that says Dale Jr. has said that if he can win the championship in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series this year, that he would strongly consider doing the same thing Rosberg did in Formula One. Take the trophy, cash the check, and hang up the helmet. Dodge continues to roll out their teaser videos for the upcoming 2018 Dodge Challenger SRT Demon. The car is going to be a step up from the already insane Challenger SRT Hellcat, the 707 horsepower muscle car phenomenon. The latest video shows the car will come with beefed up axles and drive shaft and rear differential housing to help handle the power and launches at the drag strip. And this is a drag strip specific car. I mean, it's street car. Don't get me wrong. It's street legal, but that's its job. The video also shows a demon logoed harness bar crossing behind the driver's seat. No worries about passengers. We know there's no rear seat or passenger seat unless you order one optionally. We know it'll come with drag radials, a wild air intake system, and huge fender flares. You can get up to speed on the Dodge Challenger SRT Demon by logging on to if you know you know dot com. <laughs> I like the attitude. If you know, you know dot com. If you're near Sebring, Florida this weekend, I highly recommend you get over to the racetrack. This weekend opens the Trans Am Series calendar, and over the Series 4 classes, 75 teams are taking to the track, and we're expecting a showdown, no doubt about it. In the Big Boar TA class, the machines thunder around with nearly 900 horsepower. Amy Ruman, who's been a guest here on The Driving Show, she returns to defend her back-to-back championships. But the big story in TA is the return of 2009 champion Doug Peterson, who took last year off, and also the, the, the return of Tommy Dreesey. Tommy was banned from Trans Am competition for intentionally wrecking Ruman back in 15. He has served his time, and he's back for a full season. And, of course, the other big story is the debut of Pirelli as the official tire of the Trans Am series. That's going to be good news for everybody. Now, if you follow the gossip pages, you may have already heard this news, but this week on Fast and Loud, it was officially broadcast that lead mechanic Aaron Kaufman has left Gas Monkey Garage. On the show, he told Richard Rawlings that the type of work he wants to do is different than the type of cars they need to make for the TV show. Rawlings asked, what can he say to talk the bearded wonder out of leaving? And Aaron simply said, there's there's nothing you can say. It's a done deal. So... 
Aaron is gone, off to do his own thing. He's not said much about it, but the conspiracy theorists are going nuts with it. Some folks are going to say he's going to wind up on that fast and loud spinoff show, Misfit Garage. Others think he's going to get his own show. Now, we do know that Discovery Network has said that they want to keep Aaron on TV, and they'll do what they can to make him happy. It's interesting for sure. We'll be watching. Finally, Tesla's Elon Musk is known for going off the deep end, and he's done it again. The company isn't exactly into TV marketing. They don't do traditional commercials. So it was interesting when a fifth grade student sent him a letter suggesting that they should have a contest for the best homemade TV commercial for the electric cars. Musk replied via Twitter, and he said, quote, thank you for the lovely letter. That sounds like a great idea. We'll do it. <laughs> How about that? The little, the little girl's letter was actually part of a school project, and she included that she'd really like a free Tesla t-shirt, too. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for Musk's move on this and where the homemade commercials will actually air, uh, but it's a pretty cool idea. Again, non-traditional stuff for a very non-traditional guy. All right, it's time for a break, but on the back side of this, we've got a bunch to talk about. We're going to pick apart the things that happened in the Daytona 500 and what they mean for this weekend's racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Denny Hamlin admitted before the 500 that he used simulators to stay sharp in the offseason. We're going to dig into that as well, and, and when we return, we're going to take a listen to what some folks have called the greatest sounding cars of all time. I'll explain more about that coming up uh, in just a little bit here on The Driving Show. I'm, I'm John Hammer. Stay right there. Welcome back to the show. If you are headed out to a car show this morning, you are not alone. I've already been to Cars and Coffee here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live. I'm John Hammer. This is The Driving Show, and I, I love Cars and Coffee. It's great to see the cars and to mingle with other enthusiasts, uh, but it's also great that it's done in just a couple of hours and we all get back to do the the things that we normally do on a Saturday morning. And we've got a great mix of cars here in the Queen City. Uh, at Cars and Coffee this morning, you know, you had your usual collection of Corvettes and E30s and modded up Miatas. Uh, but guys get pretty creative here. There is a rat rod that shows up sometimes that's completely been made out of old NASCAR stock car parts. That's pretty cool. You know, they find old stuff lying around. They weld it all together. Uh, there are a lot of trucks in various stages of craziness. And we've got a guy here in the metro area who has a, a tan four-door Volvo from, I don't know, the early 90s probably. And it used to have a five-liter Mustang engine in it, you know, a Ford 5.0. Now he's swapped that out, and it's got an LS engine in it. It looks like a tan Volvo four-door from the outside. And it's so completely unassuming, and that is so completely cool. And we get to talking at Cars and Coffee about the best-sounding cars of all time. And, you know, we've, there's some pretty sweet-sounding cars out there. Let's take a listen here. This is the Lexus LFA. This is actually the car that uh, NASCAR driver Kyle Busch got busted speeding in uh, just a couple of miles from, from where I live. There's a, a really nice twisty road. You just only have to go north by about two, three minutes uh, past the, the last subdivision, and you're kind of out there. And he got busted doing triple-digit speeds over there. This is probably two years ago now. It was in the news. It was there. 
That, that, that does. That thing sounds like a that thing sounds like a race car for a street car. That's impressive. Now, in I guess it's just next week, right? I'm I'm actually going to be going to the Amelia Island Concord Elegance outside of Jacksonville, Florida. And a couple years ago, that was where I had my first ever up close and and, and impersonal appearance with a Pagani. And uh, the Pagani Zonda sounds amazeballs. Listen to this. SVR. Take a take a listen to this for an SUV. I got to admit that yeah, that is nice, man. That sounds really good. I will say I'm very curious about the sound of the upcoming uh, the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. That's going to be the Grand Cherokee that has the Hellcat engine in it. Uh, we know how good the Hellcat sounds in the Challengers and the Chargers, and I yeah I would think that in the Jeep that, those guys are going to have it tuned tuned right as well. So that'll probably sound pretty great. Uh, Aston Martin, the Vantage GT12. You sound amazing. And, you know, as far as as far as race cars are concerned, one of my all-time favorite race cars is the Mazda 787 prototype sports car. This is the car that, you know, they, they won Le Mans with this car. Uh, and it shows up every now and then at, uh, like, uh, the, the motorsport uh, uh, reunion over at Laguna Seca, you know, every year. I mean, those things, they'll, they'll pop up every now and then. Four rotors and screaming goodness. Listen to this. That makes me tingle. That's really, and 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 this is that's not the best sound of it when you hear that car on the track and it's screaming up to you know Lord knows how many thousands of RPMs. It's just it's oh it's so good. It has to have something to do with adding rotors again. That that engine and the, and the 787 has four rotors in it. But when I lived up in Michigan years ago, this is probably. 15 years ago now, I guess, Western Michigan University had their own motorsports club. I thought that was really pretty cool. They raced with us in the SCCA when I used to race with those guys. And they had this crappy old RX-7 that they would run. And it was 
It was a pretty crappy car. I made wires hanging all over the place. And it was loud. And I mean, just, and not good loud. Like, it was so loud that, and, and it wasn't fast either. <laughs> I would I would pass it. I had, a, you know, I had a spec Miata that I was racing. And I would literally pass them on the front stretch coming off the corners and get on it. And I and as I was driving past them, I remember that I would sometimes take my, my left hand and put it up over my, my ear. And I'm, I'm wearing a helmet, right? But it's somehow I'm like thinking it's going to somehow save my ears. But that car, that old beat up, uh, you know, that was a two rotor car. It was so obnoxiously loud. But yeah, the 787 sounds awesome. Uh, we cannot do a great car sound segment without talking about Ferraris from 1964, the 250 GTO. This is off one of those Petrolicious videos, which, by the way, if you ever get the chance, watch every Petrolicious video you can ever watch. They're amazing. Check it. Check, check this out. I'm not I can hear the drag race guys going but 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 drag racers hot top fuel hello first time that I ever heard a, a top fuel dragster light off. I was actually at a, a car show in, in Lansing, Michigan, in the capital of Michigan. It was right downtown. They actually, I don't know if they still do this or not, but, oh man, I mean, this is probably 20-some-odd years ago. When did I work in Lansing? I got to, I worked in Lansing in 1995, so I mean, it was a long time ago. Uh, but I'm in Lansing, and we're doing this car show downtown, and uh, uh, in between all the big buildings, they closed the streets and they lined the streets with all these cars. And they had somebody with a top fuel dragster and they, they would light it up and blip the throttle. And it was ear splitting. Since then, I've been blessed to actually, I was at an NHRA event at Englishtown a few years ago. And they got rained out on Sunday. My, my team, my job for my day job, we were supposed to set up on Monday to do an event there that week. Well, we got pushed back because obviously NHRA sort of takes precedent over what we were doing. And so they had to run. Well, we know the people from the track there. And so they got us down on the starting line for both Top Fuel and Funny Car. And it rocks your soul i don't know if it's the best sound but it is it's got to be the loudest sound out there in, in the vehicle. Uh, let's jump over to europe the alpha 155 dtm car oh that is just oh my god I had an 87 Alfa Romeo Milano Platinum with a two and a half liter, you know, twin cam V6, quad cam V6. Um, awesome, great. Didn't sound like that. Uh -uh. Do we have to go for another Ferrari? I think we have to. The three liter V12 out of the 1995 Ferrari F1 car. Listen to this. But you cannot argue with the goodness that is the small block Chevy V8, an LS engine, absolutely.
Uh, let's give some love to the 993 Carrera 4S. And even I'll admit, even though I have an, I have a water-cooled car, that boy, the air-cooled cars do sound good, don't they? Oh, those sound so good. And I mean, look, I used to have a, a Viper with a Corsa exhaust on it. That thing sounded unbelievable. And 20 years ago, I had a Miata with a Super Trap, and I thought it was incredible, too. I mean, I am really big on the sound of brand new cars. I have to say, I am a really big fan of the new Mustang GT350R. The flat plane crank makes the thing sound like an exotic car. I mean, it just, it just screams. It's so sexy. And if you've got a favorite car sound, you know, let us know about it. You know, you can share it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's easy. Find me there at the John Hammer. Okay, it's time for a break. Now, coming up in a little while, we're going to find out what Denny Hamlin did. Denny Hamlin has admitted to doing something that you can do as well. And he did this to keep his skills up in the off season. Let's find out more about that when we come on back. I'm John Hammer, and this is The Driving Show. Welcome back to The Driving Show. I am John Hammer, and coming up in a bit, we're going to talk about the Daytona 500 and how NASCAR's new rules affected the on-track racing action. Did the five-minute repair clock help? or hurt the action. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes, but speaking of Daytona, Denny Hamlin won the 500 last year, year ago, and before the race last week, he was asked what he's been up to in the off-season to stay sharp, and he admitted he's been using racing simulators. Yeah, I mean, that's the key thing for me is I haven't been in a race car, a uh, real race car, since uh, you know, Homestead. Um, you know, with the limited testing, uh, it's important. Uh, for us to get as many reps as we can. Uh, this offseason, I got back into online racing with iRacing, um, and uh, the guys from SimCraft gave me a great unit to, to work on, and really it's as close to the real thing as possible. So it's been spending a lot of reps uh, doing that uh, at various racetracks, um, getting ready for the season. So I think it definitely keeps you sharp uh, from your hand-eye coordination and uh, the competition of it's pretty fun as well. I thought that was particularly cool because last year my buddy Sean, who works for SimCraft, the company that Denny mentioned, was here on the driving show talking about how simulators can legitimately help professional race car drivers. It truly hones your racecraft. Your racecraft, the, yeah. the racecraft that you would use in the sim to hold three cars behind you and look at the car in front of you and try to figure out where you need to pass them. And then you're coming up on lap traffic. So you want to use that lap traffic as a pick to pass the car in front of you. But also you're trying to figure out how to use that traffic to hold the people up. But all of that stuff, when you do it in a simulator and you do it time and time and time and time again, your brain, when you get back in the real car, doesn't say, oh, well, I've never, the stuff that I did in the simulator doesn't count. Your brain's just like, all right, cool, we've already done this. Well, and I got to give full credit to Alex Bowman. So Bowman was, you know, other than Gordon, he was the one that was, you know, driving the 88 car while Junior was out. Alex Bowman's job these days around Hendrick Motorsports has been to help develop their simulator program, and he's got a ton of seat time in that top-secret system that you were alluding to earlier. 
obviously it works great because he hopped right into a car that he had, you know, in theory, never driven before. I'm sure he'd probably done some test right. laps somewhere, but he hopped right in that thing and was running, I mean, top 10, almost won a race there at the end of the season. I mean, I mean, Bowman's got legit talent, big time talent. And that is that the simulation work has to say has to have something to do with it. It has to. Oh, it totally does. I mean, you look, don't look in. You can look at the um, what is it? The the um, GT GT Academy. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's a great. You've got Lamar. You've got Lamar. You've got Lamar winners coming from the gaming world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the academy set up, and it's it's the racecraft was honed over years and years and years of racing on a console, and some of these guys weren't even racing with steering wheel and pedals. They were just racing with a PlayStation controller. Yeah. But the skills that it takes in order to put the car where it needs to be put to, like I was talking about with the racecraft, to, to make the passes and intelligent decisions and have the situational awareness that you need to have when you're out on the track to, to just win. The sk- those skills were honed over years and years and years of playing that console, and then they hop into whatever cars that, that Nissan wants them to run, and a couple of those guys have gone on to win giant races, Sebring and Daytona and Lamar, and they're they're winning races all over the planet. And these guys are gamers. Okay, we got to take a, a quick one here. Uh, when we get back, though, let's talk about uh, the Daytona 500. We're going to hear from AJ Allmendinger. We're going to hear from NASCAR Steve O'Donnell, and it's right here on the Driving Show. I'm John Hammer. Stay right there. Well, I hope your morning is going great. Welcome back to The Driving Show. I'm John Hammer. Hey, hey next week on the show, we're going to hear from Jeff Motley from Las Vegas Motor Speedway. They've got a race coming up in just a few weeks, and Vegas always brings something special to the plate. We're going to find out more about that next Saturday morning here on The Driving Show. So you, you may have heard me mention, you know, I'm originally from the Motor City. I'm a born and raised Detroiter, and I love the place. But about a dozen years ago, I moved to Race City, USA. I live in Mooresville, North Carolina. It's it's a Charlotte suburb, right? And so we're here in, in Charlotte. The nickname Race City, USA, though, sticks because so many race teams are based right here within a few miles of right here. I was having lunch a few weeks ago with my son. We realized Brad Keselowski was in the same place having a bite. Uh, I have seen A.J. Allmendinger out walking his dog. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Speaking of Dinger, he had a great run at Daytona last week, finishing third in the Great American Race. We, we had a, a great handling car the whole time here. We just didn't have a lot of outright speed, so... Uh, you know, I kept seeing Ryan and, and Joey kept making moves and, and I just knew my car wasn't very good on the bottom. So, you know, I knew, uh, my best effort was going to be kind of the last 10, 12 laps. Once I kind of got up to wherever I was running seventh or eighth there was to stay up top. I just started saving fuel. I knew everybody was close white flag there. You know, I saw, I saw, as Ryan said, they were getting a run on the bottom. I just was like, all right, I'm just going to ride it out up top there and see what happens. And, uh, the five, I think it was the five and the 27 kind of right in front of me. It looked like they just checked up a little bit and, and it kind of right there. I thought, all right, they're starting to run out of fuel. And I just kind of ducked right in the middle there. And, and, uh, the 42 was out of fuel, which I think checked up the 22, which was next to me. And that's kind of how I got through the pack. So, um, you know, just solid. But what about racing these stages? How was that? Isn't that what we're trying to do is make some of these racing races more exciting throughout the middle of the race? You know, um, you know, there, in the past, you've seen a lot of single-file racing. And, yeah, we got single-file there, but everybody's trying to position themselves to win the race. 
And yeah, you get a, a caution that falls at the right time, and maybe some guys stay out and some guys pit trying to get that uh, get that stage win or, or points. It might be, but isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're trying to do is, is kind of beef up the middle of the races so people stay entertained, and that's what it's all about. If nobody's watching, it doesn't matter. You know, we've all been talking about how this stage racing has played out is good idea, bad idea, and, and whatnot. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. We're going to go, and uh, Mark, he's on the line. Mark, your thoughts on, on stage racing in NASCAR. I, I like the stage racing. I, I've been saying for years that they need to do something like this. I, I was a proponent for heat races back when they used to have 60 or 70 cars showing up to qualify, and yep. you know only 40 of them got on TV. You know They yep. should have been running heat races and splitting the cars up, getting, giving everybody TV time. But it, it's more transparent than throwing a debris caution. You know, If you want to bunch the field up, you know, be <laughs> right. transparent about it and give us a reason. Well, and I've heard that argument more than once, and I like it. I, I have to say, I mean, it's been – yeah, you know what? NASCAR has never admitted to throwing debris cautions just to bunch the field up, but we've all known that they've done it. And you know what uh, happens? <laughs> of course, yeah, absolutely, right? Or, you know, or, or you know, somebody's going to throw a hunk of roll bar padding out the window of the car, and there's a water bottle on yeah. the apron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, I agree with you. You know, I have to say, at first, I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Now, and I'm with you. I always liked the idea of look. I mean, if we can do a if we can do a a, a C a B and an A main at your local short track, why not do it in, yeah. in NASCAR? That's right. kind of what we've done here. I think we saw yeah. we saw good action. I mean, it, it especially a place like Daytona where these guys know they've got to make it to the finish. So they sit there and they just, you know, nose to tail and freight train, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for two thirds of the race. I, I watched the whole race. I watched the whole race. I didn't fall asleep once. Yeah. And usually I get my best sleep done during NASCAR. But, uh, um, you know, breaking up into stages, it's like a road trip. You know, if I can just make it to Memphis, you know, if I can just make it these 60 laps, I'll get up and get a drink, you know, or something like that. So. I think the stage racing broke it up, you know, and made it a little more digestible, too. I would assume that the water pressure changes dramatically when it goes to that caution flag, that that green checkered flag, <laughs> as we all get up and go potty for after we've been sitting around yeah. watching it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> what um? What's your take on on the the actual racing within the stages? Did they race hard enough to get to that that green checkered flag? You know, I I don't know that, that it really changed things a whole lot. I think that first lap or the last lap before the caution, maybe a few people really tried to get into the top 10, but I don't think it'll change things too much. You know, obviously they don't want to wad their cars up for a point, but um, but I think it, it, it adds some strategy. Obviously, you saw cars coming on pit road early, and, you know, they knew the caution was coming, so they took tires early to try to, you know, get, get that track position. But I think it makes a small difference, yeah. Well, and I have to say, I like the points being awarded there in the middle of the race because it, it gave him, again, you, you look at, and it's it's ironic that it happened to Dale Jr., but just a couple of weeks ago, Dale Jr. explained stage racing by saying, I like the idea that we can run up front all day long and get something mm-hmm. to show for it because sometimes we get wrecked out at the end. Hey, guess what? Right. It, it happened, yep. to, it happened it, to him. He got yep. wrecked out too. And, and you know, and it's it's like it gives at you least something for being up front. You yep. get something. You get something for show for. for showing that's 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 pretty cool yep. so you're a fan for it looking forward to it here this weekend in, in atlanta absolutely absolutely all right we got to take a quick break uh hang tight when we come back we're going to talk more about what's going on in uh nascar what happened in the daytona 500 the specific rules and i want to talk about the five minute clock on repairing damaged cars 
We'll talk more about that coming up. Did, did it hurt things? Was your favorite driver knocked out when he otherwise could have been back in the race with a, a few repairs? All right, that that when we come on back. So hang tight. It's The Driving Show. I'm John Hammer. Well, we are back at it on The Driving Show. I'm John Hammer, and we are breaking down the Daytona 500 and looking ahead to this weekend's racing in Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, the You know what? The, the lead singer of Collective Soul. Remember Collective Soul? Yeah, those guys, right. Uh, he is going to be the singer of the national anthem at the race tomorrow at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Now, Steve O'Donnell is NASCAR's executive vice president and chief racing development officer. And after the great American race, he was asked how the new five-minute clock for repairing damaged cars worked out. Uh, you know, that's obviously going to be a work in progress as we go. It was uh, NASCAR working with the race teams. Uh, when you look at the positives of that, you know, no one exceeded that clock on pit road. The winner of the race uh, was part of that policy. So if you look at a car going beyond five minutes, usually their day is done anyway. And... Yeah, I think Daytona always brings out, you know, you never know what's going to happen, right? If, if you make a mistake here, it's, it's usually a pretty tough one, and it's a pretty tough day. So Atlanta will be our first experience with the new rules package. Um, but the stages did produce, you know, uh, strong racing, but it also gave some drivers who competed in those first two stages who normally would have gone home with, you know, one or two points. You know, they were rewarded for running up front early, i.e. a Kyle Busch or a Kevin Harvick. I mean, I'm going to throw it right on out here. I expect the guy from NASCAR to say, oh, it was perfect and nobody had any complaints about it. Uh, Junior Nation, not so happy about it. Uh, you know, Kyle Busch fans, not so happy about it, although I don't think either of those cars are necessarily going to get back. And they're not going to fight for the win. But, I mean, if you've, if you've planned your weekend around traveling to Daytona to go see your favorite driver and he gets knocked out right away, and he's got, let's say he's got six or seven minutes or ten minutes worth of repairs to get back out on the race. And, you know, the new rule says he can't. Well, I don't know. What do you think about that? Let's go back to the phones. And, uh, Mark, what do you, what's your take on this whole five-minute clock deal? Uh, maybe not quite as prevalent at Daytona where Arrow is, you know, pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, where if you get a fender ripped off, your day's done. But at other tracks, like, say, a Bristol or a Martinsville or even a mile and a half, I don't think five minutes is enough. I, I, I think it's kind of silly, Yeah. Um, especially considering they're counting the time it takes to get on and off pit road. That, that eats up a minute right there. Especially so at a bigger track. I think they've kind of lost the plot with that rule. I don't, I don't really understand it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Steve O'Donnell from NASCAR says, oh, yeah, it's great. It did exactly what we wanted it to. You know, you don't want to see those cars running around anyway. Dale Jr. fans would argue with you. Whether he's 25th yeah. or he's 5th, they want to see that 88 car running around. And, and, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, look, and the, you know, I, I'll say this. I don't, I don't disagree with the portion where if you got to go behind pit wall to fix it, you can't come back out. Yeah. I think if you got to do such major repair that you're in the garage area for 80 laps, there's really no reason to come back out. I mean, you can gain a position or two, but not going to make a big difference in the points. Um, so I'm okay with that, but I think you should get more than five minutes to fix it on pit road. If it's, you know, if it's repairable damage, I think you should get a chance in both the truck race and the cup race almost half of the field was taken out by the end of the race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yep. on a two-and-a-half-mile-long track, and you've only got 23 or 24 cars left running. Uh, it looks pretty sparse out there. Now, the action's yeah. good. The guys yeah. that are left, they're fighting hard. I'll give them that. But it, it is a little a little weird. And I feel bad for for the small teams who do need to fight for everything because mm -hmm. each finishing position in NASCAR – 
pays money and these guys yeah. this is a business i mean could you imagine if if you were uh, a team owner and you said listen here here's the deal guys we are gonna we're gonna spend a whole bunch of your money and we're gonna go to uh, think about the truck teams because i mean that that first big one came at a lap and a half in and yeah. these guys tore stuff up and they were done I don't know if if I'm a if I'm an investor if I'm an advertiser I might have a hard time committing to it knowing that there's the potential that NASCAR might not even let my truck back on track after something after a lap and a right. half after all that right. time you spent down there. It makes your chances of getting on TV that that much slimmer. You know, yep. it, it limits your coverage by uh, by quite a lot. So I, I'm I'm right there with you. I agree. I mean, I guess I didn't realize. You know, the argument that NASCAR has is that they they don't want parts falling off of cars. I guess I didn't realize that was such a prevalent problem. I'm speaking facetiously. I don't believe it's that big of a problem. I think I think NASCAR right, is right. how often do you see it? I, I would say mark mark my words. I bet you they're going to modify that that system a little bit. It's not quite ready for prime time. I think you're right. Yeah, I think they'll they'll either. They'll either nix that rule altogether or they'll add time. They'll make it 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. You know, they'll do something. They'll do something to that rule, I bet you. I think you're right there. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. Enough enough of the Jimmy Johnsons and Dale Juniors get taken out. They'll, they'll realize they need to do something. <laughs> what we do know is it's going to continue at least this way. I, will they tweak the system? We don't know, but we'll obviously keep watching to find out. Oh, and before we get out of here, I know we've talked a lot about NASCAR uh, today, and, and we got to continue here, too. Uh, the Monster Energy girls that they've had at the track. Uh, folks have been, as you've probably heard, a little bit up in arms about the outfits. Uh, some great tweets have been showing up here. There's one from uh, uh, Josh Roller. He says, yeah, NASCAR and Monster Energy need to rethink those uniforms for the Monster Energy girls if they don't want naughty jokes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, here's one from uh, Mary. She says, pretty girls and racing go together. No argument. However, monster drink, I think this is too much. NASCAR is a family show. Uh, <laughs> I like Tanya's note here. She says, it's just a matter of time before one of the monster energy girls has a wardrobe malfunction. Now, all of that said, the monster energy vice president of sports marketing his name is mitch covington he said quote monster has always been about racing and girls and that won't change when we first started in nascar with robbie gordon in 2009 our models today were conservatively dressed compared to what they had on back then so basically he says hey you don't like it you can you can go watch uh you know curling on tv or something i guess monster is in the first year of a 20 million dollar sponsorship contract with nascar and that's uh, for that they get to have their girls out there wearing whatever they pretty much want and they get to throw their name on top of the cup series and that's going to have to do it for today. We've had a great talk about NASCAR's new rules. We discussed the best-sounding cars, and we learned more about Aaron Kaufman's decision to leave Gas Monkey Garage and the hit show Fast and Loud. Now, coming up next week on The Driving Show, we're going to hear from Jeff Motley from Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Their NASCAR event's just a few weeks away, and he's going to explain what John Fogarty and Night Ranger have to do with motorsports. 
<laughs> that and a whole lot more is just one week away. So until then, you guys come on and track me down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's real easy. You'll find me at the John Hammer, all one word at the John Hammer. All right? Say hi anytime and join us again next Saturday for the Driving Show. I'll see you then.